Fasting is when I take my mind off of myself and I let it become realigned to him. Uh, The hunger pains are to remind me I am weak, but he is strong. The thirst reminds me that there is one that can supply living water. And even though I'm thirsty at this moment and I just want to have a drink of something, I have to remind myself who I am and who he is. It is a step of humbling myself. And I get to that place where I am not anymore focused on me and what I want and what satisfies me or my physical sense, I have to get my mind now focused on him. The thirst must be replaced by a thirst for God's word. This is why most generally when we fast, we need to replace that hunger and replace that thirst for something that can supply. Jesus said it this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so when I fast, there's a purpose in mind. When I am willing to sacrifice my own comfort for a closer walk, I begin to grow. This is what it's all about. I'm afraid that today's day and time, we have really lost the art of fasting. I'm not supposed to eat. And then many people that practice fasting, they only fast during the daylight hours. And then from nightfall to from sundown to sunup, they'll eat at those times. But then from sunrise to sunset, sunrise, sunset, sorry, I'm ADD. But you have that moment where, okay, I'm going to fast during this time. But Esther says day and night. She says, hey, guys, take this one seriously. There may be times in your life where you're going to have to step out on faith. When you're going to see there's a right thing to do here and it's going to be difficult. It may be downright foolhardy and all my friends are telling me don't do that. All of my friends are telling me that's not the right way to go. They're all saying, no, 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 just back up. You don't have to go down that. God doesn't expect you to, wait a minute. If I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's something that is right and God says, I need you to do it, it's time to step out on faith and just trust him with the results. Maybe faced with that, it may be sooner than we think. Where we're going to be faced with having to make certain decisions and everybody's going to be telling us, don't go down that road. But understand something, my comfort we should willingly sacrifice. I, uh, <laughs> I don't think when Jesus was on the earth, he was concerned about his comfort. Think about that for just a minute. God left heaven to dwell amongst sinful creatures when he can't stand to be in the presence of sin. Lived the life of a simple, common individual. No, nothing, no possessions to speak of. Homeless. Died a most horrific death after abuse that you and I can only imagine was placed on a cross, stretched one hand out 
a nail pierced through the other handout, a nail pierced through, one through both of his feet. They supplied him with a little bench that if he wanted to while he was on that cross, he could sit to get some rest for his weary body. But it would cause his ribcage to collapse. I don't think he was concerned about comfort. But I don't want to go down that road. What if it, what if it, what if it messes with my life? What if it messes with... I think it's time for us to sacrifice a little bit of our comfort and just seek the face of God. Most of us are so worried about us. When my desire to honor God is weak, I can mark it down that my walk with him is also weak. Let me ask this question. Do you have a desire to be a better person or do you have a desire to honor God? There's a difference. And there's many people today who flood the, uh, the houses of God and they're just, well, I, I'm going to do this because it makes me a better person and I'm going to do this because it, it makes me look better to the individuals. And, and many politicians will join a church just so that they can say, I go to church. And then some people won't go to church so that they can say to the rest of the world, I don't go to church. And it's, uh, you ever have anybody ask you, well, you know, your opinion on a matter? You, well, uh, uh, well, you see, uh, I don't talk politics and religion. You see, when I am unwilling to sacrifice my own comfort, it is because he is not that important to me. Well, but, but pastor, if I say those kind of things at work, Somebody asks me a question like that at work, and I come out and I tell them, well, I'm a born-again child of God, and because of that, I believe this. And the Bible says that this is right and that this is wrong. And if I take that side, then someone's going to think me little. They're going to think less of me. And so I, I can't go down that road, Pastor, because what, what, what will people say? I have just proven who's most important to me. And I have no desire to honor God. I have every desire to honor myself. Yeah, come on, preacher. You're awful hard, aren't you? No, I'm just relaying the same message that I see, I say when I look into the mirror. When I find my desire to honor him weak is because my walk with him is weak. And I want you to understand my walk, your walk with God, is never his fault. If you have a weak walk with Jesus Christ, it is never because he is withholding from you. It is always because I am withholding from him. Always. <laughs> he stands there with arms wide open, call unto me. I will answer thee and show you the great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Any who come unto me, I will in no wise cast out, he says. The Bible also lets us know what is required of thee to walk humbly after thy God. Are you walking with him today? 
There's a huge difference between trying to be a better person and trying to honor God. Trying to be a good person does not mean that I am honoring God. Honoring God, the good person thing will come along. Honoring God means that I am doing what he wants, not what I think is nice and acceptable. Number two, we must have a desire to honor God. Number two is simply this, to be continuously reminded of God's presence. Continuously. I want you to notice what Esther did here. She invites the king. She invites Haman to a a, a banquet. And she does not make her request at this first banquet. Now, some believe, as you read through the different commentators, uh, some believe uh, that she did not make her request because it was her plan all, all, all along. Some believe that she had the first banquet so that she could get even better into his graces, and then during the second banquet, she had already planned to go at it this way. Others, though, believe that maybe she was not able to or she didn't, she felt uneasy, um, uh, that, uh, that she was, it was her plan to, to make the request at the first banquet, but then things didn't go well, maybe due to an uneasy feeling, she put it off to another day, and this second banquet was a last-minute addition. I, I still see, no matter what, though, I see the providence of God in this decision. Whether she purposefully chose to have a second banquet or it was a last-minute decision, I see God's hand in it. Had she not put it off a day, she would not have seen Haman lead Mordecai. Now, pause for station identification. We're going through two whole chapters here, right? Let's take a look at what we're talking about. Go to chapter number 6, verse number 1. On, the, on that night, could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told, Big Than, uh, uh, told of Bigthana and Teresh, uh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Uh, there's nothing done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman was come into the outer court, uh, into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king uh, to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said unto him, what shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to honor more than myself? And Haman answered to the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king loveth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, This uh, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, 
And do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all thou hast spoken. If you don't find humor in the word of God, my friend, you're not reading the same Bible. <laughs> Just get, the, get the scene. Oh, man, does pride go before the fall. How do you like this? Hey, hey, here's the plan. I'm going to go. I'm going to talk to the king. I'm going to tell him about Mordecai, and I'm going to get him to let me hang Mordecai. And so he walks in, and he goes right up to the king, and the king says, what do you think we ought to do for a person that I want to honor? And he says, oh, <laughs> that head starts to swell, right? Yeah. And he starts to think, that, oh, i got to really I, put your clothes on him. That real fancy robe thing that you like to wear. Get that. Put that on him. And then, oh, 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 give him your horse to ride. Oh, man, I'm going to look so good. Oh, and your crown. Put that puppy on this guy's head. Man, when my friends see me coming through town, it's going to be good. And the king says, good idea. Go do it to Mordecai. That's it. What? <clears throat> huh? You want me to do what to who? <sighs> so here he is going through the streets and all through Susa. This is what's done to the person that the king wants to honor. I know it's not me. This is what's done to the person. That, oh, I can't wait to kill this guy. Humiliated. Can you imagine all your friends and all your family knows what you're getting ready to go ask the king for? <laughs> I don't know about you. There's just got to be a part of it. I would be that one guy. <laughs> Looking good, Haman. <laughs> Plan worked out, didn't it? And Esther got to watch. Can you imagine... From the first banquet to the second banquet, the boldness that she may have had. Can you imagine the encouragement to follow through after just watching this? You know why many of us are afraid to step out on faith? It's because we forget the testimony of our God. It's because we have forgotten the great and mighty things that he has done in the past. And the God that we serve today is the same God that walked on the water. It's the same God that calmed the storms. It's the same God that healed the leper. It's the same God who cast out demons. It's the same God who said, I want Lazarus to come forth. It's the same God that looked at the waves and the winds and he said, peace, be still. I'm trying to take a nap. And it was calm. That's the God we have today. And when I'm afraid of stepping out on faith, it's not because God has changed, it's because I have forgotten just how good He is. <laughs> I have never seen the righteous forsaken. God, <laughs> this, just is, this, this, this doesn't look like a good idea. But I don't think it looked like a good idea to Elijah to put his finger into the face of the king. Uh, it didn't look like a good idea for Elijah to stand on a mountain and call down fire from heaven, but 
He trusted you. And I'm sure it didn't look like a good idea to Peter (laughs) to get out of the boat and walk on water. But he trusted you. I'm sure that those 5,000 people and then those 4,000 people that were sitting there when Jesus was preaching and he has a little sack lunch and he says, okay, everybody sit down, we're going to eat. I'm sure that the disciples, this, this guy's done lost his mind. But they trusted you. And I'm sure, I'm sure Paul thought it was a bad idea to follow this Jesus character. So much so that he wanted to kill them all. But there came a day where he saw and he trusted you. So God, you can do those things. I know you can protect me in this decision. If you want to be bold and overcome that apprehension to do what you know is right, you, number one, have to have a desire to honor God. Number two, be continuously reminded of his presence. Understand this. If I do not spend time daily in the word of God and daily in prayer, I am weak. I will be a weak Christian at best. There are many that, I'm a child of God, and I know what the Bible says. I, I, I read it on Sundays. And I've even got a calendar that has a verse of the day. Please. Those things are wonderful. But how strong of a child of God do you want to be? It begins by spending daily time in the Word of God. What are you doing to remind yourself of the presence of God? This is why being in his word daily is so important. I want you to, I want you to understand. Here's, well, how do I know if I truly believe that God's present with me at all times? If I truly believed in the presence of God, I would not lie. If I truly believed in the presence of God, I would not gossip. Oh, do you hear what she did last week? Mm-hmm. Gee, How dare he come to church? I know where he was yesterday. How do you know? I was there too. Well, that's beside the point. Come on. (laughs) I've had that one. Hey, Brother Andy, do you know she was at the bar last night? No, I didn't know that. How did you know? I saw her there. Do I need to go down that road with you? Never mind. I would not live a life in private that I am not living in public if I truly believe that God is present. Now, I want you to understand that reading your Bible and praying, spending this daily time, this is not a prerequisite to salvation, but it is definitely a result of a relationship with God. It's like when you go on that first date. You'll decide pretty quick if there's going to be a second date. 
and y'all remember what it was like. You know, you meet somebody and you're like, I wonder if this is going to, nope, ain't going to pan out with that one. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, sir, don't even call me for that second date. This is not a prerequisite, but it is definitely a result of a good relationship with him. Look at number three, and we'll start to make our conclusion. Third is to willingly humble yourself. How do I get over my fears? How do I get over apprehension? I willingly humble myself. You know, after the first banquet, Haman makes his plan to kill Mordecai. You find that back in chapter nine or chapter number five, verse number nine. Look what it says there. Then Haman went forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. When he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Leaves the banquet on a high note. Sees one individual. You know the name Mordecai in Persian means little man. Most commentators believe that that was because he was probably a small person. You can look at the Babylonian, and it's in reference to Marduk, but Mordecai simply means small, little guy. All that he had and that little guy is going to bother you. That little guy is going to ruin your day. You can see just how small Haman is. You know, whenever I find that something can ruin my joy, it is because I am more concerned with me than anything else. That little guy can ruin my day because I'm only focused on me. Pride comes before the fall, you find in Roman, or I mean Proverbs chapter number 16, verse 18. Haman sets himself up and looked to bring others down. Pride is the downfall of every world power that has ever fallen and every fallen leader. You can mark it down. What brought Rome's collapse? Pride. What brought Persia's collapse? Pride. What brought Babylon's collapse? Pride. What brought the Israelites? Collapse. Pride. And what will bring America's collapse? Pride. Oh, come on, don't say that, Pastor Andy. I'm just telling you, history has a tendency to repeat itself. Pride goes before the fall. You will never see a humble man humbled. You won't see it. You won't see a humble man 
brought low because he has already brought himself low. He has already allowed himself to be brought low. There's no, there's, there's no more humbling needs to take place when that happens. Now, there are two avenues to humility. I want to bring these to you, two ways that you can be humbled. Number one, you humble yourself, or number two, God will humble you. Go with me, if you would, to James chapter number four. James chapter number four. Take a look at what he what James says here. We're going to read a few verses. Um, look at verse number six with me. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your heart, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Skip over to the next book, the book of First Peter, and I want you to see another reference to this. 1 Peter chapter number 5. Take a look at verse number 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we humble ourselves, before thrice holy God, he will lift us up. He will exalt us. I'd much rather have the God that created everything to be the one that exalts and that lifts me up than for me to be the one that exalts and lift myself up because let's take a look now at the book of Luke, chapter number 14. And let's see the, the result of lifting myself up. Luke, chapter number 14. Look at verse 7 with me. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than you be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou being with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Thou, then that shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Here's what he's saying. Keep your finger there, we're coming back. Here's what he's saying. He says, when you go to places, you know, you show up at a party and you want that choice table. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever made that mistake before? I made that mistake before. 
You go and you didn't realize that there was a certain table that you weren't supposed to sit at because that was the dignitary table and you ain't a dignitary, so don't dignitate yourself, you know? Yeah, I've done that. And you show up and you sit down at the table and then all of a sudden you got somebody coming after you've already licked all the you know, tableware and everything, <laughs> already sneezed all over it. And you, you, go, you go and you sit down and then somebody comes and says, uh, this actually is reserved for, oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you get up. My wife is probably thankful she wasn't there for that one. And you get up and you have to move. And what happens? They pick up all of your stuff and relocate it to another table because they don't want whoever was supposed to sit there to have to sit there at your junk. Right? And she, yeah, I got moved. And this is what he's saying. He says, when you show up, don't go up to the, to the choicest spot. It'd be like showing up and going, <laughs> I'm at the wedding. I'm sitting right next to the bride and the groom. They're going to have fun. Yeah. Here I am in my jeans and a T-shirt, and I'm sitting right next to the bride and the groom because that's where I want to be because we like this. Well, how come you're not in the wedding party? They just overlooked something. Well, we're close. He says, no, 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 because it would be really embarrassing for you to have to be moved and somebody else given your spot. Go sit in the lower place. Look at verse number 11, please. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up. You know, back to our original question, when stepping out in faith seems foolish, how do we overcome our fears and do what we know is right? You know, I was building a deck this past summer and uh, had, uh, had all my deck boards and everything out. And there was one, if you've ever bought wood, you understand, you know, you, you go and you, uh, I mean, the tree grows straight. Why doesn't the board stay straight, you know? And so I've got my deck boards, and there was one deck board. I mean, you could have built around a corner with this one, but it was like one of the last ones I had, and I'm just looking at it going, man. And so I had to had to pry and work with it, so I had to put my board down. If you've ever done it, you know, you, you, you have to pull back and pry back on that board to try to get it straightened, and I'm shooting my screws in, and then I'm prying a little bit further. I'm shooting my screws in, and I had to really work, and I had to pry at it and pry at it because this board just did not want to stay straight. It kept wanting to curve kept wanting to go crooked well guess what after so much prying i finally got it in there straight but it still wants to curve and so there's a bunch of cracks in that board i thought man i finally got it in there i got it straightened out it's it's holding in place it's doing its thing this is the way i want it i want it going straight down this line i don't want that curve and so i got it pried i got it moved it was uncomfortable i'm sure for the board but that board has continued to fight ever since i put it in there and those cracks are in there to show me it does not want to be there so guess what's going to happen this coming summer that board coming out and a new one put in its place. Are you fighting what God wants for you in your life? I don't want to go that way, God. I want to go this way. 
and he's trying with all his might. I don't want to throw you away. I want to make you useful. I'm going to work hard at this. This is not an easy task, and I understand it's uncomfortable, but if you'll just trust me and just go direct, and I'm trying to get you to go, just put your faith in me. Trust me. I know what's best for you. Trust me on this. And we continue to fight him. Eventually, as C.S. Lewis said, there are two types of people in this world. One, those who bend their knee to God and say, Thy will be done. Or two, those who finally God says, Okay, have it your way. I know, I know sometimes it's difficult to do. But the question of when stepping out in faith seems foolish, how do we overcome, is answered this way. Determine now to honor God in all of your life. All of your life. Continually spend time learning of Him. And humble yourself. And simply obey. Humble yourself and obey. In conclusion, you know, just how willing are you to be humbled? How willing are you to be humbled? Do you desire to honor God? Do you live with the realization of God's continual presence? Do you let the, uh, do you let the cares of this world rob you of your, of your joy? There's an old Greek proverb that simply says, when the gods would destroy, they first make one mad or crazy. Sophocles, he had written of this, and he rephrased it this way, evil appears as good in the minds of those whom God has let to destruction. You know, the more I fight the hand of God in my life, eventually God's just going to have to say, all right. And guess what? I'm going to start to bend and I'm going to start to break and things are going to crack. And when finally God just says, fine, have it your way, I'm going to think everything's fine. Because evil will appear to me as good. And there are a lot of people today claiming the name of Christ who to them, evil is appearing pretty good right now. And if I'm okay with evil, but the word of God expressly condemns, I have to ask myself, have I been delivered over to destruction? Realize today, in Esther chapter 5, verse 2, God ex- uh, the, uh, the king Xerxes extended his scepter. There's a God today who is extending a scepter of grace to you. He's extended this scepter of grace and, and he's offered it to you freely. Blank check. What have you done with it? What we do with this offer now will determine how we will face him in the last days.
I have to choose three things this morning. I'm going to give you just three. Choose to accept His grace today. Choose to honor God with your life. And choose to humble yourself before God. I will choose to accept His grace. I will choose to honor Him with my life. I will choose to humble myself before Him. What about you? The offer is made. You do with it what you will. Father, we come before you, Lord, with thankful hearts. Father, when we realize what you have done for us, oh, Lord in heaven, how humbling it truly is to think that a God would love us that much. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, reveal yourself to us this morning. That, Father, those of us who maybe don't know you as Savior, if there's any here today that has never trusted you as their personal Savior, I pray, God, that you would burden their soul for you. If there's any, Father, that they have not honestly desired to honor you with all of their life, that today would be the day that they would say, I'm finished playing games. I'm all in, all in. Father, the ones who are fighting maybe selfish pride, I pray, Lord, that you would goad them along the path into your graces, Father. They would humble themselves so that you can exalt them later. Father, that the hearts of the people would be clear this morning. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.